Welcome in a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast, and we have reached single digits on our countdown to Penn State football nine days away as we record on a Thursday morning uh, from the Nittany Lions opener in Beaver Stadium against Idaho, final day of August. Uh, We've learned some things about Penn State football. We're still waiting for some more answers. We'll get into some of the uh, takeaways from the most recent practice session, which Sean and Mark Brennan were at, and we'll bring in Sean Fitz now. Uh, Lions 24-7 podcast, Sean, we've been talking about it for weeks, um, about the possibility of, of starters being named and not being named, but we're going to start today's show uh, addressing an exit and an interesting one at that, John Patrician, a fifth-year senior uh, on Penn State's football program, who actually still has two years of eligibility due to some medical setbacks during his career, uh, shared on Wednesday or Tuesday evening that he would be uh, officially exiting uh, the Nittany Lions football program. We first reported, uh, you yourself uh, put up on the site, the start of tr- uh, training camp that he would be entering the transfer portal and exploring that option. He confirms he will be leaving. And then, you know, I think about 12 hours later or so, Pat Narduzzi uh, over in Pittsburgh, head coach of the Panthers, confirms that Johnny Patrician will be joining their program. So uh, health, health-wise, I don't know where he's going to be on the field for them this year. He seemed to say that he's still recovering. Not sure what if he'll have uh, any kind of role when, when this team comes to Beaver Stadium. But but to say the least, uh, we're about, what, four weeks away from Pittsburgh making that trip. Uh, and you've got a guy who's been around your program for as long as Johnny Patrician. All of a sudden on the visitor sideline, it, it you know, interesting set of circumstances that I, I have not seen before. It's an interesting set of circumstances. I, I, I don't buy into saying that Patrician, you know, is going to be a spy, is going to give away all the calls or the defense, anything like that. They've got tape. I mean, I, and I think Narduzzi said as much. Uh, he admitted that and did not admit where Patrician came from, by the way. I'm not sure if you caught that clip or not. Um, but uh, no, they, they've got tape to work with that stuff. And I don't think it's a it's a mole situation or anything like that. But it, it's notable. Um, I guess Patrician is a walk on there from from what Narduzzi seemed to uh, to hint at, that he was coming in as a football player, not as a scholarship guy. Uh, don't know what that means, but doesn't doesn't really matter. I think it's a, no, a low-risk situation for Pitt. Um, as for Patrician as a whole, I mean, we talked about it when, when he went into the portal earlier this month, that he really wasn't going to factor into what Penn State was trying to do, still wanted to play. Uh, talked to a few coaches, had a few coaches actually reach out to me to try and get in touch with him um, as happens after these portal things and seem to want to stay at the D1 level. I mean, we thought he would probably end up at Duquesne or something like that, but seemed to want to stay at the Duquesne level. He's going to home to Pittsburgh. He's a Pittsburgh guy, loves Pittsburgh. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good fit for him. He admitted in his farewell that he just had reconstructive shoulder surgery, so I don't see him doing anything anytime soon. But he's got two years to play. He'll have an opportunity to get on the field, and, and you know, obviously he's got an, a better opportunity at Pittsburgh than he will at, uh, at Penn State. Penn State was looking at him as probably a special teams guy in, in his last year of eligibility. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that happens. I'm, I'm not quite buying into the whole um, you know, he, he's going to, you know, take down Penn State now that he left uh, the disgruntled player and all that kind of stuff. I don't really buy into that stuff. And they've got, like I said, they've got tape to work off of. They don't need him telling him, you know, where uh, uh, Lamont Wade and uh, Garrett Taylor are going to line up for the first uh, couple of snaps. So I don't think it's a big deal in that sense. And by the way, there were a couple of Penn State to pit uh Get, I guess transfers. Tom Ricketts went from Penn State to Pitt. Uh, didn't really do anything at Penn State, or excuse me, at either spot. And then Camonte Carter went from Penn State to JUCO to Pitt, uh, and it was not a good situation for anybody. So uh, not a ton of success from when we're at least recently from what we're looking at here. 
Uh, Patricia maybe cracks the the depth chart maybe next year after this shoulder surgery seems to go. Very athletic kid. I mean, I think that's the thing that's overlooked. It was a, a tremendous high school player, very productive in, in all three facets of the game. Um, kid's got a 37, 38-inch vertical leap. I mean, saw him do it right in front of us during winter workouts this year. Very athletic kid. So, you know, hopefully he catches on. He can get some some experience because he's a kid that loves football and a uh, kid that loves Penn State and is a kid that uh, is, probably will love playing for, for Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. Yeah, you mentioned not getting the dis- disgruntled vibes from this. Uh, I'd agree with you. He put it out there. He was proud to have a Penn State degree. He's proud to be an alumni and a letterman of Penn State football. And, you know, I, a little under the radar here, he actually appeared in every game last year, primarily on special teams. But as you said, was going to be relegated as a reserve in the defensive backfield moving ahead. And uh, hopefully he can maximize his chance. I'm looking through this 2015 class now, uh, Sean, bec- um, because – it's not much left from this class on the roster. In fact, the last-ranked guy in this whole class, Robert Windsor, uh, should factor in heavily, obviously. But and Nick Bowers is on there. But you know, names like Tommy Stevens, Aaron Monroe, uh, Jake Cooper, Jonathan Holland. Uh, you can go up and down. You know, you got Stephen Gonzalez there, but Brandon Polk is gone. Irvin Charles. Um, you know, obviously the headliner there is Saquon Barkley, but. Um, you know, 2015 is a class where, you, you, you know, you, if you had a team filled with fifth-year seniors, uh, that would be big representation. They're at a point now to speak again to their youth where you look at this list and guys are either playing, uh, playing football and getting paid for it in the NFL or they're playing football potentially in, in different corners of the country, whether it's Jawan Johnson at Oregon, Tommy Stevens down in Starkville, Mississippi, and, and now you've got Johnny Patrician going to try to make his way at Pitt. So, again, this team is very, very loaded towards the youth end of the roster. Um, speaking of that, we, we focused on a couple younger players for a while now, Sean, at the quarterback spot. Uh, Third-year guy and Sean Clifford is a redshirt sophomore with seven career college passes. And the other, Will Levis, the redshirt freshman looking to make the jump from scout team quarterback to potentially first team quarterback. Not going to lie to our listeners, we were very much anticipating an announcement um, after practice on Tuesday uh, from James Franklin, but he, uh, he wasn't biting. In fact, uh, he went as far to say that that discussion really has not developed yet about who their starting quarterback is. Now, read between the line as much as you want uh, with Coach Speak. But, Sean, the fact is, again, we are in single digits away. I don't know if the locker room knows. I don't know if Will or Sean know. I don't know if Ricky and James Franklin know. We certainly do not know who the starting quarterback is yet for Penn State. And as we've been saying and banging the drum since April, fully expected to be Sean Clifford. But the longer it goes, the more it makes you wonder, you know, are there other dynamics in play here? That That's probably a good question. This is, by the way, the second time we're joining you this week. Um, if you want to listen <laughs> to our first episode, it's in the draft file of our Megaphone account um, to talk about Sean Clifford being named the starter. But no, I mean, nothing's really changed from that aspect. And if you, if you listen to James Franklin on Tuesday night, uh, you know, he kind of, I, I don't know if I'll call it slipped up or anything like that, but, you know, he kind of admitted Sean got more of the reps, which is what we've been reporting for the last couple of weeks. He admitted that Clifford was, uh, I, I don't know, he, he just kind of mentioned him first every time as if he were the starter. Um, are there other things playing into it? I mean, classes start next week. I, you know the portal's in the back of James Franklin's mind, although I don't think that's a situation by any stretch of the imagination with Will Levis. But still, I mean, it's uh, there's so many dynamics, the, the way that things have accelerated in the last year with these transfers. Not that it's much different than it was in the, fr- in the last part, but it's more public now, which makes your program look a little bit worse. But Still expect Clifford. Um, like I said, uh, we talked for, I think, 20 minutes the other day about what uh, he'd bring to the table. 
Um, but Clifford took the first team snaps on Tuesday night. Levis got the second team snaps. I think it's been fairly clear um, where this one is headed still. Um, it's just a matter of whenever Franklin wants to announce it. Is that next Tuesday at the press conference? Is it next Wednesday after practice? I don't know. They're going to have to have somebody in line. But the way that the reps have split up uh, throughout practice, it, it seems fairly clear at Sean Clifford. And I think the way we kind of uh, foresee these first couple of games with Buffalo and Idaho coming to town, teams that, that Penn State should be able to, to, to build a cushion on and, and put games away late, hypothetically, um, you know, you figure to see a lot of Will Levis and Sean Clifford in both of those games. Uh, they need to get both of these guys real game reps, uh, get them tuned up. And, and yeah, but he, he wants to play them both. I mean, he, yeah, he wants he to will. play them both, not not necessarily in a two quarterback situation where you're going series per series or anything like that. But, um, you know, you get a lead on Idaho and you got, you know, do you go half and half or something like that? The, the interesting thing that I saw last year, the Kent State game, which is probably the most comparable that, that you can do. Uh, we didn't see Sean Clifford, who, you know, Tommy Stevens wasn't in there. You didn't see Sean Clifford until the, the start of the fourth quarter, and Penn State was up, I think, 49-10 to 10 at that point. So um, Franklin has tended to leave these guys in a little bit longer. I think it's been one of those criticisms. And then he comes back after the game and say, well, in hindsight, I probably should have done that, and he really hasn't done that. Um, so I'm not sure what the score break is. I was asked in my chat this week. By the way, a great chat this week on Lions 24-7. Uh, our VIP guys can check that out. Um, but uh, I don't know what the score break is. Maybe three, four touchdowns. Feel a little bit comfortable. You want to get Levis in there with the first team offensive line. You want to get him in there with uh, with some of those receivers that you can cycle through there. So uh, he wants to play both. He wants to get experience. And then beyond that, you've got your third and your fourth guys and Taquan Roberson and, and Michael Johnson, who they said you know they'll they'll play. They're they're trying to redshirt both, and they they will redshirt both, uh, barring something incredible happening. Um, but you still you've got those four games. You want to use them. Some guys you're going to see very early. Some guys they're just going to save all the games till the end of the season, as uh, as Franklin alluded to this year. So it's just a an interesting dynamic in that you could play one quarterback most of your out-of-conference schedule. You could see a, a bunch of Levis as well, and then you can also see the third and fourth guys. You just want to get those guys snaps, and it's it's tough to do. It's a tough balance. It, it, it's much tougher. And by the way, coaches are so paranoid. You know, no lead is safe for a lot of coaches. It's tougher than just yanking the guy out when you go up three or four touchdowns. And there's something to be said about continuity and, and, and having Clifford and, and Daniel George and having Clifford and Justin Shorter uh, out there, you know, playing a little pitch and catch. And obviously then it starts to get to the point where if you're, if you're up 35 to three in the third quarter, why you're throwing downfield bombs. And then that becomes a whole different conversation, but this team is going to be desperate for building reps, building continuity on the offensive end. Unless this defense, unless we're way off on this defense, there, there should be a lot of opportunities for great field position for this offense in week one. And uh, Sean, without even realizing it, we kind of got into a little game conversation, so we must be getting close. We're actually talking about one specific game and how Penn State may approach it. We'll do that in greater detail next week. But um, Sean, from the practice field, now that we, we've covered the non-news story and, and the fact that there is no first-team quarterback for Penn State, um, let's start. You, you had a really cool photo montage up there, kind of uh, in chronological order of, of I'm, I'm chronological order is not what I'm looking for, is it? It was linear, and it, it was basically Shaka Tony uh, introducing Caden Wallace to his speed and Caden Wallace learning a lesson. But the point goes to the defensive end as a whole, and Shaka Tony is a primary example. There's just a lot to contest with. And again, going to these first few games, I just don't know what personnel an opponent can throw out 
to really take care of business off the edge. Yeah, and that uh, will that stunt everyone else's growth is what I'm wondering because I think they're going to get to the quarterback fairly often. I think Idaho can get the ball out uh, pretty quickly. Um, but still, I mean, Shaka Tony, we'll, we'll start with that. I, I felt bad for Caden Wallace uh, posting that um, because he was now, to his credit, he's the second team left tackle in his first camp as a, as a, uh, a true freshman. But Caden was not that slow out of his stance um, he did reach a little bit, but Shaka Tony just threw a speed move on him. Not an out and around speed move, but he caught the edge. He caught the angle, dipped the shoulder, and he was right there uh, to Will Levis to flush him into Micah Parsons for a uh, for a sack. But uh, yeah, these defensive ends, I think, are going to be a problem. Um, we saw an interesting formation the other day um, where they they and they did this before. They did this last year, so it's not really a secret or anything. But move Yitor Gross Matos to the interior, brought those. Uh, sprinters off the edge with Tony and Jason Awe and uh, had some success there. So you've just got so many options if you're Sean Spencer. And we're not, we haven't really even talked about Shane Simmons, who, you know, seems to have stayed healthy, seemed to have stayed in there. And, you know, when he gets his head back in the game, and I think that'll take a couple of weeks for him to get back up to the speed of, you know, of real football and and get going. When he goes in there, I think he can be a really good player too. So just so many options in the defensive end spot. Uh, Gee, just, it just, I think it's going to open up so many things. I mean, you, we talk about the tackles are a question mark, but you're going to have to pay attention to those ends. We talk about the secondary. Well, if the ends are getting some pressure, that's going to make the second any secondary a lot better. So I, I think it's all going to start with these defensive ends. If they can you know, stay healthy, if they can stay out there and, and just continue to make an impact as all-around players, I mean, that's going to just take this defense up another level. And we know that this defense is on a pretty pretty high pedestal to begin. You mentioned last week that uh, being an offensive line coach is not an enviable position right now. Oh, it sucks. Shaka Tony, (laughs) what he did right there is a primary example. It's very tough to find the kind of athletes who can provide the power and the finesse to handle someone uh, like Shaka Tony and, 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 like and you said, Jason a really away. good athlete. I mean, he's oh, yeah. he's a really good spark guy. In addition to being, you know, a big guy that can move. I mean, he's he's got uh, good shuttle times and things like that. So, I mean, it's just it's so tough to get in front of those guys and to 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 get them out of the way. And it's, you know, it's not about putting guys on their butt anymore. It's it's really about you know just getting them off of their line and and dis- disrupting what they're trying to do. We've talked a lot about defensive highlights from the practice field these last few weeks. Um, here's some good news for the offense, a little fireworks. Uh, K.J. Hamler uh, pulling in a, a well-placed pass from Sean Clifford, um, you know, doing what he does, getting a stride on people. And, and Sean, you saw this one up close. Uh, Grace Brennan uh, had a video up as well on this touchdown. The intern, uh, yeah. The intern, Grace. Uh, excellent, excellent throw, excellent catch. Um, celebration left something to be desired. It wasn't bad coverage from Donovan Johnson either. It was a contested catch by KJ Hamler, which I do think they'll use him a little bit more down the field this year. Uh, he maybe opened that up a little bit. We know Sean Clifford can throw the deep ball, so I'll be interested to see how he, uh, uh, I guess, evolves as a vertical threat. We know you know he can take the short route and 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 do some things with it. We saw it against Ohio State last year, but to see him get down the field, I think can can really provide a lot for this offense coming out of the slot, uh, using that maybe maybe that smash fade that they were so successful with Deshaun Hamilton a couple of years ago, just use his talent and get him, get him out and about. But the celebration, man, uh, you know, I, I hope they score a lot this year because they need to work on those celebrations. Dan Chisena, who was out there, uh, <laughs> KJ Hamler went up, Chisena just dropped him on his, on his, uh, on his face on the ground to Hamler's credit. He started doing the swim celebration. I think there were flags on the field, as you mentioned, uh, but uh, not going to see that in a game, but, Hopefully they tighten things up from a celebration standpoint. 
Yeah, rule number one this season: don't drop KJ if he if he yeah, dives toward you. Make sure you hold on to him. Uh, on the other side of the football, uh, Jaquan Brisker. Uh, we know we've talked for a while. Lamont Wade a- has done a nice job um, solidifying him sp- his spot. We haven't heard him named as a as a starter, but all the feedback has been good. What we've seen of him on the field has been a confident player, but. Jaquan Brisker is not going to stop pushing for this job this month or into September, October, November. He's a guy who was regarded as the top safety prospect at the junior college level. He was an All-American at that level, and he's in his third year, so he's not uh, necessarily going to be wide-eyed, although it is a big leap uh, from Lackawanna to Penn State. But, Sean, uh, you've got a note here that, that saw a little bit more of Jaquan Brisker at practice. Yeah, uh, getting acclimated is the way that I would put it with him. Uh, we got a chance to talk to Tim Banks after practice on Tuesday night, and he was mentioning that, you know, he came in a little behind in terms of, uh, you know, a, uh, I guess communication standpoint. you got to learn all the calls. You know, their defense is similar to what uh, they run at Lackawanna, but at the same time, I mean, obviously it's a different level. So you're talking about different calls, different coverages, and things like that. So, Got his feet wet, got going. We saw him a little bit with the first-team defense this week as they did some different things. We mentioned that three-man front, so they moved some other guys around, and Brisker came in and almost got a pick in the session that we were there. Uh, encouraged from what I've seen from the, the growth of the little bit that we've seen of Brisker a little bit, uh, I, I think September is going to be very good for him in, in that he can get a lot of reps. He can come out and you know get uh, regular reps with the guys that he's going to be beside. Uh, been mostly Jonathan Sutherland. I'll be interested to see if they play around and get get him some reps with Garrett Taylor out there just to get that communication uh, line open. But impressed what we've seen with Jaquan Brisker. He seems to be coming along. Don't know if he's ready to snatch that starting job away from Lamont Wade, who sounds like he's having a pretty good camp. Uh, but it, it, it's, I think the general theme is safety was such a big question mark for this team um, just coming into camp, you weren't sure what you were going to get from Sutherland. You weren't sure what Brisker could bring right away. Lamont Wade has, I guess, been a question mark since his, since he's been here. Uh, and then GT has been the guy that they've leaned on. But I, I think they feel pretty decent about that. And, of course, you're not going to know what they're going to be like until they put the pads on. But they feel pretty decent about those four guys. Also feel, you know, pretty decent about Tyler uh, Rudolph, who's going to – he's going to redshirt. But, uh, you know, they like what they've seen from him back there. So safety continues to evolve – it's going to be interesting because you don't. You, you, we talk about the youth and inexperience of that unit. Garrett Taylor's a senior. Lamont Wade's a true junior. Brisker's a junior. So after next season, after the 2020 season, they're going to be retooling there once again. So um, it's a work in progress, which we'll get to the recru- on the recruiting aspect of this podcast. But I, I think for, for 2019 to start the season, I think they feel fairly solid with where they stand. And again, that defensive line is going to have a lot to say about how those safeties look um, and and how they, I guess, can evolve in coverage. And, you know, will they get some tip balls? Will they get some some forced passes like we saw Garrett Taylor picked off uh, Sitkowski from Rutgers last year? More of a fair catch than an interception. Um, but uh, it's it, I think it's it, that whole defense is going to help those guys out. Although they're the ones looking from the back end, I think that whole defense is going to help them, uh, you know, play sort of inside out. Then the entire projected starting defensive secondary, and you can go to the two deep at safety as well. All of them have been around a college football program for at least three years. Many of them significant reps. You know, even Jonathan Sutherland uh, last year uh, got got a nice opportunity to experience game action. So that that's experience should not be the issue back at safety. But we'll learn a lot more about that group in the coming weeks. Um, again, going back to offense, Sean, some nice catches uh, from Daniel George, who, as we've discussed, there's been so much concentration on Justin Shorter's progression that 
It feels like Daniel George often gets put off to the side a little bit, and I don't think that's necessarily uh, the right thing to do because he's a heck of an athlete in his own regard, as we've, as we've discussed in the past, and he's certainly right in the thick of it uh, to get a bunch of snaps this year. Additionally, Journey Brown uh, flashing off uh, with a nice catch as well, and Jahan Dotson staying with this uh, offensive group. Uh, he was the man up uh, at the podium. Well, not the podium. He was on the grass fields of the practice field up at the Mark, at the Brennan camp, I guess is a better way to say it. And uh, Jahan Dotson sounds like a very confident player. I read through Mark's story. Um, no surprise there. He came on strong last year. And, and James Franklin saying he's gone uh, from a guy who, you know, they were concerned about his size last year coming on campus. Franklin wasn't shy about that. The initial expectation was to redshirt him. We saw what happened with the receiver room last year. Jahan Dotson was the guy who became the beneficiary and earned that spot. But now Franklin going to, going to call him a, a you know a, a third a three down Big Ten wide receiver and you know I think what he means there is he, he's ready for everything that the conference is going to throw his way. He's bigger. Um, you probably can't really tell that because he's a small guy to begin with, but he's bigger. He's playing on the outside a little bit more. I think you can play around and and get he and KJ Hamler. You know, if we dare see motion, um, then then you can play around and get those guys inside and out. Uh, just a football player, a tremendously skilled kid. I mean, just I think that's what put him over the top in terms of playing right away last year. I mean, he caught the ball. The others didn't. And, you know, he sort of parlayed that into a starting spot. It seems like a fairly solid starting spot as well. You got Hamler at, at one spot. You got Dotson in the other. And I think the third one's still up for grabs. But, um, yeah, I mean, Dotson has been a guy that not uh, probably not enough people talk about in terms of being a contributor. I think he can be a volume guy. I mean, they still think he's a possession guy. You can get Hamler down the field, and you can get whoever is at the X. Uh, those three guys can get down the field as well, and shorter George and Chisena. Um, but, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an added dynamic that I think we kind of forget about. Uh, Trace, uh, toward the end of last season, remember, look to Dotson in some of these key spots, which you, you don't really expect a true freshman to be. And yeah, he has improved. Franklin told the story. I think it's second or third time he's told the story about Dotson. But looking back at his camp last year and looking back at the first couple of reps, game reps that he had, I think he's tightened that up a little bit. And like I said, very skilled guy, very good route runner, and you know can go a long way in solidifying this group as as wide receiver. You mentioned the catch by Journey Brown. I think that the, one of the big things that I've taken away from these open sessions is they are throwing to the running backs and they're doing it by design. They're doing it, uh, you know, not just out. It's not Saquon running a, a wheel route every time out of the out of uh, different positions. Um, but no, I mean, they've been able to get the ball out in the flats. They've been able to, to pick up chunks of yardage. And you think about down in distance last year where they were at, and that's something that was severely lacking in this passing game was uh, really not uh, utilizing Miles Sanders in the way that he probably could have been utilized. I mean, he put up some decent numbers, but at the same time, I think you can get something out of here, maybe a screen game. I, I don't know. It'd be crazy to think about. Um, but uh, I think you can see some improvement some, you just need a couple of more first downs out of the running backs in the passing game, and, and I think a lot of people will be satisfied with that. That's great for a confidence of a quarterback, too, to, to get some big plays off of short passes, quick passes, and that's a nice way to get the ball rolling for that group. Um, additionally, uh, well, Jordan Stout. Uh, turns out, yeah, he was a pretty good addition. We've talked about this guy repeatedly. You have here a very detailed, though, let me read it, th kicks things very far, including footballs. That's inside information you can only get here. Um, Jordan Stout closed practice the other day with kind of a sonic boom kickoff. I was talking to someone on the sideline, uh, really not paying attention to because it's kickoffs and sorry kickers. Um, but uh, it, it just he when his foot hit the ball, 
I mean, it was like the crack of the bat in baseball, and you looked up to see where it was going, and that thing would have been out of the back of the end zone. He's got a leg, man. He freaking bombs it, and it's fun to watch. And I mean, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how much that impacts special teams. And you know, I don't think you're you're doing the corner kick anymore, where you're trying to pin a guy inside the five uh, in his own corner, you know, near the end zone. I, I think they're just going to go with it, see how far he can kick it. Uh, maybe still do some direction off to the left or whatever. Um, but still, I mean, starting out on the twenty-five. Yeah, I mean, you give a little bit more than you used to when it used to be the 20, but at the same time, you're not giving up big returns, and that's something that, that this unit has been prone to in the past. Um, really interested to see what kind of improvements Joe Lorig has made. Uh, talked to Tim Banks. He's working a little bit with the linebackers, uh, but but right now his his focus is mostly on special team, which is where it needs to be. Interested to see if Stout can make a run at the place-kicking job as well. I mean, I don't think that that's one that Jake Pinnaker has locked up. I think Stout uh, you know, can can bring you something there. You know, Aside from the big leg, we haven't seen a ton, but he, he looks to be hitting it just as well as Pinnaker. So that'll be an interesting dynamic throughout September. Do you, you know, if they're even, do you not want to throw too much at one guy? I know Stout wants to do basically everything, but Pinnaker wants his job back as well. So be, that'll be an interesting dynamic to see week one to, to, to sort of gauge where these special team units can go and to gauge how long that leash can be for whoever is the starting place kicker. These practices have also featured a little bit of directional kicker, uh, directional kicking and, and really focus on ball placement. You know, pinning, pinning the guy back, making the returner have a choice to field the ball at the two-yard line. Uh, it's situations that can set up. We talked about the athleticism we anticipate on the special special teams coverage unit where you can pin a team back on a kickoff that is such a huge advantage rather than giving them the ball at the 25-yard line. Although we know touchbacks are going to be a major part of Jordan Stout, what he can do. But the, really interesting to see in these few open periods how Joe Lorig has kind of you know, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? He seems to check off the box every time we see it. And it's been really funny to watch the, the teammates in the locker room like celebrate these kicks. Uh, and, and, and they were putting the pressure on him a little bit. This is another one where intern Grace Brennan has, uh, has something up on, on, on Twitter, I believe. I don't know if it's up on the site. But a good reaction to give you an indication of, of how these teammates have really enjoyed watching uh, Stout go to work. Uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about the recruiting trail in just a moment. But first, a quick word uh, from our advertisers. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, recruiting continues to be a focal point here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, One name that we mentioned on the last episode as a possibility for Penn State, uh, no longer the case, Mordecai McDaniel a safety prospect out of St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C., began to trend toward Tennessee within about 48 hours of that announcement. Uh, Steve Wolfong, Brian Dome were on this. uh, And as Sean said in the last episode, uh, although Florida was mentioned in here, it really seemed to be maybe Penn State pushing and trying to get in it with Tennessee at the forefront. Sean, we we said this last time, uh, but there is an interesting caveat with this recruitment. This is a a big-time track prospect as well. Uh, he wants to maybe do both. It sounds like he does want to do both in college, and, and, and maybe he was swayed a bit by the Tennessee program. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, a, a safety you know that Penn State had recruited for quite some time, a guy that had been a very murky in, in recruiting for a long time, uh, we get an answer. Yeah, I mean, they just flat out got beat. I mean, there's no no real backstory to this one. Um, Tennessee, I think, was the leader in his mind coming into the Penn State official, and Penn State made him think. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't happen for everyone. So uh, Mordecai McDaniel heading to Tennessee, a good pickup for the Vols. Athletic kid, and don't, Brian Doe and I were talking about that this week. His tape isn't great. He's not. He's far from a refined football player. Uh, we have him as a high three-star um, and I think athletically, he's a four-star kid, no doubt about it, size. Um, but he's going to have to come along as a safety and, and come along as a defensive back. Penn State obviously would have loved to have him, but uh, it's a, more, of, more of a project than you would think. The other thing, at St. John's College, Penn State has signed Aaron Monroe, and they've gotten Rafael Checa to walk on. Uh, in terms of being a one of the top talent producers in the, in the Mid-Atlantic, Northeast, or whatever, um, Penn State not being in there is an issue. You know, they, they would like to have more success there, um, but uh, you can't get them all. They just would like to get more than they're getting. And McDaniel seemed like the most realistic of that group to, to land with Penn State. And, and for them to, to come up short there, I think that's, uh, you know, that they're not too happy about that. Shifting gears down the safety board, safety remains maybe the top uh, priority on the defensive side of the ball. Um, where do you go from here? I think Elijah Gaines really makes sense. We've talked about Gaines before. He's got his official visit set for the fall. Check that out on the site. Um, Gaines is an interesting prospect. He's you know like uh, like McDaniel. He's a taller kid, probably about six two. I think we have him listed at six three. I'm not sure he's that big. Um, but he can run. He's a kid that's originally from New York City. He's playing at Episcopal, where where uh, Jonathan Su- Jonathan Sutherland came out. So a lot of things going for Penn State here. Um, very interesting schedule. He scheduled his first official visit for Michigan uh, for the Ohio State game, of course, at the end of November. Um, whether or not Michigan has room, they've got a couple of safeties in this class. Recently got Makari Page, who was a Penn State target. They've got a couple safeties in this class, and they're still on some others, like Malcolm Green, who Penn State's also on. Um, but it's to be interesting to see in a couple months from now where that stands. What's interesting about uh, Gaines' schedule is he's got this official visit for Penn State for in September, but he's got six straight weeks of Saturday afternoon games. So Saturday afternoon games, you're not going to get out and get official visits. So it's another interesting dynamic in his recruitment because he's probably going to take this Penn State official and then have sort of a lull in his recruitment 
and then come back and go with and uh, you know, go with that Michigan visit if they still have room. So just an interesting one. Duke's in there. Uh, North Carolina, Virginia, I believe he visited North Carolina at the end of July, and a few other schools um, are in his top seven. But be an interesting uh, track uh, to watch because he visited Penn State back in June unofficially. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, clearly you like to get a player of this caliber that you like at the safety spot on campus early in the season, but. That is an interesting thing where, where if he's going to have that gap and kind of put things on hold in terms of visits, does he still maintain those warm and fuzzies it, about it, what yeah, he Yeah, it's almost like Valley. a dead period, you know, where, where, right. where you just kind of, you know, we saw that rush of commitments after the or during the summer dead period where the guys stopped taking visits. And a lot of guys, the last visit on their mind is what stuck. Now, I don't know what else he's going to set up. He's been very meticulous about going about this, has, has, um, you know, mentioned several times that he's probably going to be a late decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that's that's worth following and, you know, just kind of logically stacking it up. Penn State's right in there and can can really make an impact on that official visit. An answer will come uh, quicker from Kevon Lee, another running back target for Penn State down in Florida. Uh, they picked up Keziah Holmes who we had on, on the last podcast episode a couple of weeks ago. Lee plans to give his announcement on Monday the 26th. Not sure we'll get another podcast up before then, uh, but this is one that, that has looked good for Penn State for a while. Sean, I'm not sure if you were the first, but you were among the early crystal ball picks uh, for Penn State with Kevon Lee. Uh, and if they get two of the top players in this position from Florida in a two-week span, uh, you know, it just further reinforces things. Not to put the cart before the horse here, but uh, uh, interesting, interesting to say the least that, that Penn State could pull this off and, and is really favored to pull this off. Yeah, I think uh, if my math is correct here, that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six picks in for Penn State on the 24-7 sports crystal ball with the seventh being foggy at this point. Um, so, I mean, obviously you, you got to feel good if you're Penn State. I mean, Florida State's got a couple of backs in their class. They seemed like the the, the team that had the most I guess, visit momentum, I guess you would call it. He went up there a couple of times to Tallahassee this uh, spring and summer. Florida doesn't look to be, uh, you know, the choice. LSU, I don't think, is on him as hard. So, I mean, you, it's not getting him by default. I mean, they've done a great job, but, um, you know, it seems to be setting up very nicely for Penn State. Uh, he, that's his only official visit that he took. He seems to be getting along with the, the, the members of the class. Curtis Jacobs is in there. Of course, Nick Dawkins is in there. Um, so I think just reading the, the tea leaves here, you got to feel good if you're Penn State going into that Monday announcement. I don't know if he put up a time on that yet. We'll have to check on that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be writing about him before his announcement uh, on Monday. And with uh, Lee, a guy who compliments Kazai Holmes very well, as we said, Holmes right now, a lot of that is about speed, about his slashing ability. Kevon Lee already in the 220-pound range at six foot. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if we mentioned he's at a superior collegiate academy in Clearwater, Florida, evaluated as the number eight running back uh, by 24-7 sports. So some serious talent. Penn State uh, looking for commitment number 23. Didn't happen with McDaniel. But Lee, keep your eye on that announcement on Monday. Sean, uh, continuing to talk about uh, this 2020 class construction project, which has been an interesting one, um, you put out a most wanted list uh, last week about Penn State uh, and, and who they're kind of dialing in on here as things go. We know that, that dynamics will change. Guys may not look as good on their senior film as they anticipated. Guys could look better. And then, of course, 
there is the fact that some teams are going to go down in flames and the recruiting classes are going to be ransacked by other programs. So with all that in mind, uh, let's jump into this conversation. You, you mentioned safety being a big priority earlier. The other one that I think is obvious to you, I, everyone on our message board at Lions 24-7 is an offensive tackle. We might put the message board guys first because I think they uh, have pointed that out more than a few times, uh, RMJ. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's Ibrahim uh, uh, Traore seems to be the guy that, um, you know, everyone circles on. Uh, don't put in a crystal ball pick for Penn State this week. And I mean, I think that one makes sense. Uh, don't know when he's going to announce, but it really adds up pretty nicely. Traore is the guy. I think they'll still keep going after uh, guys like Aaron Parks and, and things like that. But also that dynamic, and I have it down here a little bit, is you know, you're heading into flip season. You're heading into hot seat season where schools are on the hot seat or coaches are on the hot seat and schools are sort of scrambling. But you've got uh, guys that are committed elsewhere. Um, I, I had on that most wanted list that uh, Josh Downs, of course, has been on the radar since he took his official in June, uh, still committed to North Carolina. Ruben Hippolyte, uh, a linebacker who's committed to, to uh, Maryland. Um, and I also had some other notes in the S-Zone last week about some other committed guys. They're still on guys like Fidel Diggs, who took an official visit here. Ryan Watts took an unofficial. He's an Oklahoma commitment that uh, could take an official visit this fall. Former Oklahoma commit, by the way, Darian Green-Warren from California, will be taking his official visit for the whiteout. They're still on him as they try to find another corner in this class. Of course, Anton Sampa is going to be a guy that we mentioned before, and we'll get back to Woodbridge here in a second. But just there's 22 commits in this class. There is a bunch of room left, um, but yeah, you, I, I, you're not going to go eight for eight or 10 for 10 on the guys that were on the most wanted list. I think Mordecai McDaniel was on there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to not bat a thousand and then you're going to look at some other flips late. And you know, if that, if that's how this class is going to climb close to 30, then that's how it's going to be uh, going back. I, I completely whiffed on the guy that I think is the biggest individual target left on Penn state's board. Theo Johnson, of course, coming for the whiteout for his official visit. It, you know, officials are going to tell the tale with him. Penn state's been on him pretty much longer than anybody, I guess, longer than anybody in his, uh, in his final four or top four or whatever they, they want to call it. So some very important guys that they can hit down the stretch. And uh, it's going to be an interesting fall because, like I said, there's plenty of space. There's going to be teams that they're going to try and poach from. And there's going to be uh, just spinning wheels all over the place. And just going back to tackle very quickly, uh, Brian Doan had an update up for our VIP members uh, regarding Devin Willock, a New Jersey offensive tackle who picked up uh, a Penn State offer very close to when he was planning to decide in the summer. Then he postponed things. Georgia got involved. Boston College is there as well, Indiana, Rutgers. Um, but this one still seems like there, there's not really a, a, a set plan, so stay tuned there. And as we've said, uh, he's a guy who did not camp at Penn State. He was on campus for the Lash Bash. Uh, but Ibrahim uh, Traore, in my opinion, is the superior prospect, and, and I, I still think he's the one to watch. I think you're probably um, going to keep tabs on him as, 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 because we just don't know. It's, he's a kid that it sounds like he could commit today, tomorrow, or it could go all the way down to December. And uh, if you heard the Nick Dawkins interview a couple weeks ago, he was very impressive at the Penn State practice uh, at the Penn State camp, and uh, he's a guy that these players want. And Theo Johnson, though, is the name that comes up uh, among all these commits most about who they would like. So uh, Sean's number one guy on this board uh, at this point, I guess, is is kind of matches up with what they what they feel too. 
Yeah, he's a stud. Um, and, and I know they have a tight end in Tyler Warren, who's a good-looking athlete, but uh, Theo Johnson's an elite. Uh, I think we have him top three or four tight end in the country right now, um, including Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington, who Penn State's still recruiting, but let's be honest, they're not going to get. Um, so beyond that, I mentioned Antoine Sampa. Um, news out of Woodbridge this weekend. R.J. Adams, longtime Penn State offensive line commit, offered by Alabama. He went down there and camped for the Crimson Tide. Just sort of a interesting offer for a more peculiar offer for Alabama. I talked to my Alabama guys on 24 seven sports. They certainly didn't expect a new offer to go out, especially in the offensive line. Uh, Bama has, I think 22 commits as well, but I don't think they have as much space and I'm not sure how much space they have in the offensive line. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. If he wants to take a late official there, he's said in the past, he wants to continue taking official visits. I think LSU might be the, the bigger threat right now. Of course, Sampa committed to LSU. Um, but, uh, I just I, I'm not sure how this one's gonna play out. You gotta consider him a soft commit if you're Penn State right now. I expect him to get back to Penn State, take that official visit, and and go from there. He, I, you know, he hasn't really set uh, when he's gonna come back. He was just on cam- campus for the Lash Bash, so that's good to get him back before the season. Uh, but just a, a really interesting dynamic, throwing, throwing a wrench into things for the All American, uh, excuse me, Under Armour. All-American center, R.J. Adams. Bama's going to be in there. Uh, NC State's always been in there. It's been a program that uh, you know I know his family likes. LSU, I think, may be the biggest threat of them all. It's going to be going to be interesting to follow because this offensive line class is, has come together and, and fallen apart a little bit and, and stabilized again. And uh, Yeah, R.J. Adams is going to keep close tabs on that. Kyle Flood saw him on the camp circuit. Uh, they didn't offer right away, but uh, clearly they saw enough to, to do it before the season. And uh, yeah, he'll be one to follow. And, and Woodbridge is an area where Penn State's uh, always going to want to focus in on and do well, uh, bringing up players and, and, and Sampa, as we said, you know, maybe he's still in play. Interesting stuff from Sampa. You mentioned somebody's trying to run their head coach out, which is, you know, this is a guy that's sort of run the recruiting for a lot of these kids. So, and, and to play off of that, Fadil Diggs coach um, in Camden is also out. So, of those moving pieces that we talked about with with college coaches and hot seats, high school coaches can affect you know what guys are looking at, how many guys are able to get out and see different things. We know Woodbridge, they've been up a bunch. I mean, not just Adams and Sampa, but 2021 James Gillespie and uh, Kyrie Campbell, who's at Florida now, came up to Penn State a couple of times. So um, it'd be interesting to watch the dynamics because you don't often think about the high school coach, uh, you know, having that kind of impact but when when you're able to get these guys to visit and you're able to to sort of have a say in where these guys are able to check out it, it it's something that bears watching power of suggestion with that group uh, with, with with high school coaches often and, and and what they're kind of putting the putting in their brains it can develop and materialize from there so uh, we'll find out as Penn State continues to build we'll soon find out we think who the starting quarterback is at Penn State uh, we'll bring you another episode, two of them, I think, next week, and we'll get an answer on Kevon Lee. Sean, anything else to add before we bring this one to a close? No, no, I think that's uh, that's about it. We might bring back start bringing back the mailbag. We're trying to figure out our fall schedule, a couple of episodes during the week, potentially a post-game episode that won't be very long. Um, but, yeah, just uh, we appreciate you listening. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. Give us the, uh, the five-star rating while you're at it. It's not that big. Not that big of a deal. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. For Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz, and we'll see you next week.